Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Okay, as I said, we're starting a new series about work. Speaking of which, when you meet new people, what is one of the first things you ask them? Exactly. Where do you work? Because it's such a big part of our lives. Did you know that the average person will work approximately 90,000 hours in the course of his or her life? 25% of people check in to work hourly when on vacation via email or the phone. 59% said they check their work during traditional holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so work is everywhere. And we may as well learn how to enjoy it, right? Have you ever stopped to consider your attitude about work? How would you describe your feeling about work? Would you describe your feeling as positive or negative? You know, some people view work as a chore uh, to be endured because I have bills. Or the other reality is this. My work is my God. It's the one thing that consumes all my attention and time. And in this series, we're going to learn about work from God's perspective. Have you ever considered how your ideas about work compare with the Bible? What does God's word say about it? Did you ever know that there are several misconceptions about work, several misunderstandings about work? Let me give you an example. Many people think that work is something you get paid for. And sometimes... This is a source of conflict between couples. For example, if a wife stays home with the kids, the husband comes home after a long day at work, and he expects things to be in order in the home. And he says to himself, you know, she doesn't work. She has all this time. She should, she should take care of things on the home front, right? Why isn't the house clean? And the reason we think this is because she's not getting paid for the work she does at home. So we think she's not working. I remember when our kids were little and Terry stayed home to raise the kids. And one day she was filling out an application somewhere, I forget where it was, and it asked for your place of employment. And she put none. And all of a sudden she had this revelation. She said, you know, if I'm not working, why am I so tired? (laughs) How many of you know parenting is a whole lot of work? And you don't get paid for it. And this issue goes both ways. How about the husband who's unemployed for a time? Or maybe he's retired. Does it matter if he maintains the yard and paints the house and catches up on years of maintenance, needed maintenance? And the reason this is an issue is because there is a common notion that work is something you get paid for. That's an idea that we need to debunk. Let's look at some attitudes about work. This is a true story. I once knew a guy who just graduated from high school, and his big career decision was whether or not he would live off the government or get a job. I was listening to the economic advisor of Singapore. As you know, Terry and I just came from there. His name is Thurman, and he was being interviewed before a live audience in London. And one of the people in the audience stood up to ask a question, and she said, Hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm from China. And I haven't been to Singapore, but I would love to visit that place one day. But I have been visiting the U.S. And I have noticed that uh, many people in their late teens or their early 20s 
uh, takes several years to be wild and be free. And she said, don't you think that Singapore's economic policies may be a bit stifling for young people to discover themselves? And everybody in the audience laughed. And I thought Thurman's response was excellent. He said, you know, here in Singapore, you can be as wild and as wanton for as long as you please. But we don't have to give you a government check to do it. Unfortunately, some people are just lazy, and our government enables them. That's one extreme. The other extreme is to be a workaholic, thinking money and achievement are the key to a fulfilling life with leisure and retirement. There are men and women who have been successful, thinking that they can now stop working, only to end up in activities they should never be doing. You ever heard the saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop? It's not a proverb, but it could be. Have you ever seen people who retire and their health and their drive go downhill from there? They have deleted part of their God-given purpose. Many Christians nowadays hold an unbiblical view of work. Some view it as a curse, or at least as part of the curse of living in a fallen world. And there seems to be a biblical basis. We can go to the next slide. Genesis 3.23 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So that was after the fall. God sent him out of the garden, and he had to go work the ground. And labor would be intensive. Looking at work as a curse will make us think that it's a burden. And it's a burden that we have to carry. And because of this mindset, work can be difficult. It can be tiring. It can even be debilitating. I know some people who have physical illness because of work-related stress. Business Insider Magazine says 25% of employees say their work is their main source of stress. 40% say their job is very or extremely stressful. And 80% of people say they are dissatisfied with their jobs. Couples in which one partner works more than 10 hours more than usual per week are twice as likely to divorce. All of this has caused us to dislike work. And some have become so exasperated, they said, you know what, you know what, I don't want to work. I don't want to work. You know, no wonder we say, thank God it's Friday. Snow White and the seven dwarves heading off to work, they sing, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. You know, have you ever seen the bumper sticker? There's a parody on that. It says, I-O, I-O, it's off to work I go. You know, paying off principal and interest, is that what life is all about? Is that why we're here? Is work just a necessary evil to pay off loans? And so we have these extremes where we don't want to work or work consumes us. And somewhere there is a middle ground that we want to unpack during this series entitled, Thank God It's Monday. The goal of this series is to demolish unbiblical thinking regarding work. We have to understand that work was never a part of the curse, but rather it's a blessing from God. Work was a blessing given by God to Adam even before sin entered the world. Today, we'll look at the Bible to see God's perspective about work. And as a result of this series, I trust that you will experience how work is a blessing from God. Sound good? 
Okay, so here we go. We begin our study by beginning with God. Today we'll focus on the God who works. And we'll look at three truths about God. We can go to the next slide. The first reality is God is a worker. In fact, God is the very first worker. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the very first book of the Bible. The very first verse of the very first book reveals that God is a worker. In John 5.17, Jesus said, My Father is always at work, and I too am working. Now notice the relationship between the Father and the Son. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And this is the pattern Jesus modeled for us in Scripture. And in the same way, whatever the Father does, we are also to do. And this morning, you heard some words from God's heart about what he wants for people on the island. And God is inviting us to come alongside and be a part of what he's doing. And there were words of encouragement to overcome the fears and the hindrances and to to take courage and boldness and to follow those promptings when you sense God is saying, go talk to that person. This is what Jesus did. So God is always at work. And as you've heard me say, he invites us to join him. You know, once upon a time, there was a farmer, and he was visited by his pastor. The pastor came out to the farm, and he said, wow, it's amazing what you and God have done with this place. And the farmer said, pastor, you should have seen it when God had it all by himself. In Genesis 2.15, we read, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And in this passage, we find work is the very first responsibility given to man. Adam and Eve were created to join God in his work. And that's where we start. We start with the fact that God is the first worker, and then we see God invites us to join him. You know, let's not be like the farmer who thought that he built his farm all by himself from the ground up. Apparently, he forgot who sustained every heartbeat and every breath He forgot who causes photosynthesis and precipitation. And maybe he wasn't aware that God holds all things together. You know the Bible says that, that God holds everything together? You know that statement has a lot more meaning if you just learn a little bit about the structure of a tiny little atom. If you remember back in school, in your science class, and they had the little picture of an atom, and in the very middle is what? Is the nucleus... It's made up of protons and neutrons. And if you remember, protons are made of a positive charge. Neutrons have a neutral charge. And it's interesting that the nucleus has all these protons with a positive charge because have you ever taken a magnet and tried to push the two similar poles together? What happens if you push positive next to positive? It repels. It pushes apart. And yet you have all these positively charged particles in the nucleus of an atom. And so there is something holding it together. And atheistic science doesn't know what it is. They just call it the strong force. But the Bible reveals that God is the one who holds all things together. And you know how much power it takes to hold it together? Science has learned that they can split the nucleus of an atom and release its energy. And when you release its energy, what you get is an atomic bomb. That's how much energy is in the nucleus of an atom. You take the largest atom or one of the largest, is uranium. 
and you get a whole bunch of those that split and release the energy, and you have a hydrogen bomb. It's amazing how much power God has in holding all... It's mind-boggling. You can't even comprehend it when you consider the entire universe. Meditate on that when you consider the idea that God is at work, orchestrating the entire universe. Every solar system, it's amazing. God is an amazing worker. And you know what? He loves it. He loves it. Genesis 131 says, God saw everything that he had made and it was very good. You know, that's not just somebody's opinion. That's God's opinion. He said it was very good. Which leads to the next truth. And that is that God is the finest worker. God is the finest worker. And the rest of creation is in agreement. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You know, think about that for a moment. The heavens declare the glory of God. Have you ever been outside at night in a really dark place and it's a clear night and you just stared at the stars? You know, I like science. Some scientists, they say the universe is too big not to have other life forms. They assume there must be other forms of life out there somewhere because the universe is so vast. Louis Giglio says, what if the purpose of the universe is not to host other forms of life? What if the purpose of the universe is to declare the glory of God? In that case, then the universe is just about the right size after all. (laughs) The heavens declare the glory of God because God is the finest worker. And he invites us to join him in doing fine work. When we appear before the Lord, there are two things that will determine if our work is fine or not so fine. Those two things are this, motivation and the quality of our work. You know, when it comes to motivation, the question is this. uh, Did we love God? Did we love others? Did we honor God? Or did we live for ourselves? Now, I just want to share with you my own journey in learning how to love. It began when I received Christ. I was only 20 years old. I was in college. And I said, just laying on my bed one night, looking up at the ceiling, I said, God, if you're real, I want to know. You know, and I expected some kind of external sign. And nothing happened. But something happened on the inside. I didn't realize the sign would be within me. I tell you, I didn't know it back then, but when, when I first came to know the Lord, I had a heart of stone. I was very hard, and I was very angry. And I tell you, the sign that God gave is that overnight, when I opened my heart and I said, God, I want to invite you into my life, overnight, 90% of the anger and the fighting disappeared. God began to change and transform from the inside. Fast forward 15 years later, I was a pastor. And I would be up like this on a Sunday morning. Actually, during worship, I'd be at the back. And I would say, God, uh, is this the right message? For your people. And he would often encourage me, go, yeah, just give them what I gave you. And I would say that again the following Sunday, and he would say, yeah, just give them what I gave you. And I would pray that way, continue as a regular pattern. One day I said that prayer. I said, God, is this the right message? 
He said, you know, this is a little late to be asking. I mean, what if it wasn't? What are you going to do now? (laughs) And all of a sudden, I felt so convicted about my incapacity to love. The Lord said, you need to be thinking about people all through the week. And where are the people at? And what are they going through? What are they feeling? And what is the need? So that you can hear my heart to be able to, to speak to that need. And all of a sudden, I just realized the smallest smallness of my heart to be that other-centered. And so then, from then on, my prayer changed. Every week, I'd be at the back during worship. I would say, God, would you enlarge my heart? And the next week, God, would you enlarge my heart? I prayed that prayer every week for a year. And after a year, I went to a conference in the States, and there was a worship time. And afterward, this lady came up to me. I'll never forget her. Her name is Dagmar Mueller. She had red hair. She's from Austria. And she said, I saw you during the worship, and the Lord gave me a word for you. And she doesn't know me from Adam. We've never met. This is the first. She comes up to me, and she says, the Lord wants you to know he's going to enlarge your heart. Man, that just blew me away. I said, you're never going to believe what I've been praying for the last year. And so I told her my story. God began removing some of the responses in my life that made my heart hard. Different judgments that I had about life, about me, about males, females, authorities, work, life, the environment around me, everything, God began to remove those things that were not of him. And she said, God's going to make a space around your heart so that he can enlarge it. I didn't realize when she said that that she was describing what would be a 10-year process. Actually, it's a lifelong process. But for God to do some significant work, it took about 10 years to get rid of a lot of the junk that was hindering my heart from growing and enlarging. Fast forward another 15 years after that, I'm in Singapore last month. And I have this strange experience. Our host, they're so generous. They gave us a key to the house, and we could come and go as we want and just treat it as if it was our own home. One day, Terry had gone to the office before me, and they had gone to work, and I was the last one to leave the house. And I had a problem. And it started, actually, the day before. I was testing out the spare key that she gave me. I put it in the lock. It wouldn't even go halfway. And I fiddled with it for about five minutes. And finally, I said, "Uh, Shirley, I said, is this a new spare? Because it's not working. She goes, oh, no, it should work. I said, no, it's not working. So she came over, and it went right in, and she turned it. And she goes, oh, yeah, it's working fine. She gave it back to me. She didn't even know I had been struggling with it. I just looked at the key like, what? She walked away. I tried it again. It wouldn't go in. I was like, weird. So I went to the office, and they have a Wi-Fi system there, and there's a login page to put in your password. And I'm trying to log in, and the login page won't even pop up. I tried it about 20 times. Finally, I went to the IT guy. I said, hey, Rafi, I said, "Um, I can't even get the login page to pop up. He said, really? That's strange. So he hit the refresh button, and it popped up. I said, you know, I, I tried that about 20 times. He just shrugged his shoulders. So the next day, I'm leaving the house. And as I mentioned earlier, Terry had already left. The couple had left. I was the last one to leave. And I put the key in, and it wouldn't go. And I fiddled with it. I played with it. It wouldn't go. I must have been there five, seven minutes. Finally, I gave up. I had to leave their house unlocked. I thought, man, they're going to think, what kind of guest is this? (laughs) But fortunately, it's Singapore. 
Man, the crime there is like zero. <laughs> you don't want to get caught. But I left the house. <laughs> yeah, you'll get keened. Which would probably not be a bad idea here on Guam. <laughs> We'd have a lot less graffiti, a lot less litter. <laughs> But I had to leave the house. I went to the office. Same thing happened with the Wi-Fi thing. I said, Rafi, it's still not working. You hit the refresh button, it popped up. This is weird. Next day, I went home, and I'm playing with the key again. This is the third day, and the key still will not go in the lock. And this time, Terry happens to be with me, and she doesn't know any of this is going on. This is just me and God wondering what's up. (laughs) And so I decide to do an experiment. I don't tell her anything. I just said, hey, Terry, uh, could you do me a favor and just lock the door for me? So I hand her the key. She puts it in, turns it. She goes, gives me the key. I said, that's it. I said, something's going on. I said, God's trying to speak to me. I don't know what it is, but this is unusual. And so I just went to the Lord in my heart. I said, God, what is it? And just immediately he said, love is the key to unlock people's hearts. And he was continuing me on this journey of being able to love. Now, he did a transformation in the beginning. And then he removed some stuff to be able to enlarge my heart. But now he was saying, I want to fill it. That, that space that I've made, I want to fill it with my love so that you can have the, the ability to be able to love people. So I, t- I shared all of that with Terry. She goes, wow, that's amazing. The next day, the key didn't work. She goes, I thought you learned your lesson. <laughs> I said, awareness is not the same thing as arriving. <laughs> Eventually, the key did work. <laughs> I'm still in process. And so that's one thing when it comes to our work is God is going to ask, what is the motivation? Why do you do what you do? And there's, only, there's really only one motivation that will count, and that's whether or not we love God and we love people. You know, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 when he talked about that great chapter on love, you know, he said, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, if I give my body to be burned, You know, if I give to the poor, if I do all of these things, but I don't have love, he said, I'm nothing. We can have all kinds of work for decades and decades in our life, but if it's not motivated out of love, it's not going to last. And that brings us to the second area, and that is the quality of our work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said this. I think we have that scripture. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer, suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. All of this to say, God is a fine worker and he calls us to build with quality. Gold, silver, precious stones, they all represent quality. When you do fine work, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor and 
you will be rewarded. Amen? God is the first worker. God is the finest worker. And lastly, God fulfills our work. Some of the most fulfilled people I know are people who are filled with passion about what they do. That's what I love about my wife. Anything she does, she's passionate. I mean, she could sell a cow to a vegetarian. (laughs) You know, you meet some people, they're passionate about what they do. You meet a good chef. I'm going to meet one after church today. I'm going to go to a restaurant. You know, I'm glad he's passionate about his his work because that makes the food taste good. Amen. Our worship team, I just love to see the passion that people have in worshiping God and honing their skill. You know, passion and desire are good, but feelings can dissipate from season to season. Fulfilling work is more than a feeling. You know, the mafia can feel passionate about what they do. (laughs) (laughs) Fulfilling work is work that has meaning and has value. And the best way to illustrate this is to ask you to imagine that you're standing on the top of a 100-story building. And imagine down below you is a four-lane highway. And across the four-lane highway is another 100-story building. Can you see it? And in between the two buildings is a suspension bridge about two feet wide. And it has no railings, nothing to hold on to. Now, how many of you would be willing to risk your life by crossing that suspension bridge 100 stories high above a four-lane highway with no handrails? Anybody? Raise your hand. How about if I offered you $1,000? Would you do it? One hand? <laughs> we got a daredevil. How about if I offered you 10000 Any more want to join Eric? Okay, we got a couple for 10000 Anybody do it for 100000 Would you cross? Would you risk your life for $100,000? There's a few. This is why some of you are not happy at your jobs. Intuitively, you know that doing it for the money is not worth it. It's not fulfilling. But what if I had your child, and I'm standing on the other side of that bridge, and I said, unless you cross this bridge, I'm going to drop your child from the top of this building. All of a sudden, that's a game changer. That changes everything. All of a sudden, now there's a reason. All of a sudden, there's something of real value to respond to. Jesus crossed a treacherous bridge to save us. And he invites you to go across the office or across the street or across the yard or across your fear or across your comfort zone. When you're living for something greater than yourself, all of a sudden life becomes meaningful. You need to live and work for things of lasting value. There are only three things that will last forever. God, God's word, and the souls of men and women. When you join God and what he's doing in people's lives, your work will be fulfilling. Your work will make an impact, and you will have great reward. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are an amazing worker. Father, we thank you that you made us And you've given us this great gift of life. Thank you, Jesus. 
Father, thank you that you are inviting us to join you and be a part of what it is that you're doing in the world around us. And Father, I pray that you would make it clear when the moment comes how we are to do that. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the assignments that you have for us at home, at work, on the road, with family, with friends. And Father, we know that unless you were already at work, (laughs) our effort is in vain. Only you can change the human heart. Only you can prepare somebody to experience you. And so, Father, thank you that you are at work, that you are drawing people to yourself. As was said earlier, that there is a harvest that's here. And God, I thank you that you're inviting me to join you and to be a part of what it is that you're doing in the world. And God, I ask that, as I mentioned earlier, that you would just help me be real clear. And I wanted you to take a moment of silence and just say, God, what are you saying to me? Lord, what does this mean for me? Just take a moment to hear from the Lord. And if you sense what that is, I want to give you a moment to respond, to make a decision and say, say yes. Sometimes that's the hard part, is saying yes. And sometimes we don't really hear from God until we say yes first. Sometimes we want to say, well, tell me the assignment and then I'll decide. But God wants you to surrender to him and say, yes, Lord, tell me what the instructions are. I just want to invite you to to surrender before him. Lord, you see each person and you know their hearts. Lord, you're speaking to different ones in special ways and you see their response. Father, I thank you that you honor what we think and what we feel and the decisions that we make. For those that are in process, Lord, I trust that you will help them continue in that process to take the next step in your time. For those who are already saying, yes, God, I'm here, I'm ready, show me the way. Lord, I ask for your anointing upon them that as they go from here, as they step out onto the parking lot and into their cars and get to their places of work or when they get home, Lord, I ask for your presence to enable them, to guide them, to empower them to be able to live the life. Lord, to be used by you in whatever way that you guide. Lord, I pray for your anointing upon each one here and ask that you would be honored Lord, as we move forward in obedience.